you want to open it up with one of your Clint Eastwood famous lines? Dying ain't much of a living boy. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been Clint Eastwood himself, and I would have never known. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. My name is Jacob Shop, and that voice you heard, it's not Evan Roosh, my usual co-host. He abandoned me once again, but uh, I got my <laughs> good buddy, Everyone's favorite former co-host of the Gems oh, of History podcast, Mark Steinbrenner. Yeah, yours truly, here to talk about the wild, wild west. Oh, yeah. I, you were telling me, and the, the people heard, that you've been practicing your Clint Eastwood impression. That's what we call a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> I don't know. So I almost said a misnomer, but that's not right. <laughs> that is not accurate at all. <laughs> So how how have you been, Mark? What's uh, I've been good. I've been good. Uh, plugging away in my school life, and uh, you know, hitting that gym hard in case you know things go down in this country and we go back to the wild, wild west standards. And I gotta throw it out. <laughs> Do you want to hear something funny? Yeah. So I was at. I'm not gonna say where I was because the person that told me this told me after the meeting that I wasn't supposed to tell anyone about it because it was like a medical meeting thing. Oh, and. So I'll just say that this woman, she told me that, well, after we had a conversation about how her and her husband went to Woodstock back in the day, which was super fun. And then I don't know how it shifted. You think they ever ran out? out? After the conversation (laughs) shifted, um, (laughs) she was like, yeah, so just so you know, like, the people that don't do the work like you do, like the people that don't have calloused hands and stuff, like once the war comes, they're going to die. I was like, okay. What war? I don't know. The war? The war. The she war. She said, the war. Once the war comes. The war to end all wars. They're going to sacrifice themselves for us, apparently. Did they say that during the world wars? Was it the world to end all wars? Yes, twice. So, so what happens if there's another one? It's going to be V3. To end all wars. It's going to be the patch. The difference is this one probably would. And everything. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that would be too It's going to be the ending update for the new Call of Duty. That's yeah. what you're saying. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah, as Mark said, we're going to be uh, talking about the Wild West today. I have three tales. No, it's that it's the wild, wild, Wild West. The wild, I don't know why. With Will Ferrell. <laughs> with robotic spiders. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I hope you're ready, because I got two really fun stories Good. for you. Count them two, count them two. Two. Does that, that mean there's a third that isn't fun? The third is, I think it's also fun, but, but the main character is kind of an asshole. Oh. So it depends where you land on that. I didn't know there were any non-assholes in the West. No. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite the ruffian that we're going to All right, all right. Okay, so what do you want first? Do you want, uh, I guess the first two are both paranormal. So, do you want like a cryptid, like a monster, or would you want like ghosts? What would you prefer to start with? I think everyone's going to want the ghost. Let's go monster first. Okay, okay. We'll start with the monster. That works because it's the first thing I have in my notes. All right, good. So, I'm going to set the scene for you. Yes. So, picture this it's the late 1800s, and you live in the American frontier, specifically in the town of Tombstone, Arizona. It would be Tombstone. It's all, It's got to be Tombstone. <laughs> this is a zombie story. <laughs> nope, nope, not. Okay. So the town has fallen on somewhat hard times. Uh, all the prospectors have pretty much left. So most of your neighbors and possibly your friends have left to find greener pastures 
and you're left in a dusty old town with only a few people. One local rancher, perhaps a friend of yours, asks you to go out with him on a horseback ride, perhaps to go on a bit of a hunt, or mend a fence, or maybe go parade the cattle, the few cattle that he has left. As you ride through the desert, you feel the sun disappear as a giant shadow grants you reprieve from the heat. It must be a cloud, right? But just as quickly as the shade hits, it's gone, and the shadow moves ahead of you. You look closer at the form of the shadow, and you realize, hey, that looks like more of a bird than it does a cloud. And looking up, your suspicions are confirmed. You see a massive bird. But as you get a better look, it doesn't look like any bird you've ever seen. Instead, it's got leathery wings with no feathers, and it has to have a wingspan of... By golly, it must be 100 feet wide. <laughs> as the crow flies? <laughs> as the, yes. <laughs> 100 feet wide as the crow flies. So you and your buddy give chase on your horses, and you grab your rifles out of your saddlebags. You take aim, you both pop off a couple rounds, and you find that one shot goes through the creature's wing with ease and pokes a large hole through it. The bird falters, and you're able to close the gap. So you aim again, take one more shot, and you hit the target, which stutters in the air and then falls. You get close, and you realize your hunch was right. The thing has to be at least a 150-foot wingspan, and the body itself is nearly 90 feet long. You drag it back to town somehow and tell the newspapers who report on the story. Later, you and some of the other men in town pose with the behemoth for a picture in front of the barn showing the true scale of this primordial-looking creature. This is the story of the Tombstone Thunderbird. Do we still have these photos? We'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) That's part of the story. But what are you thinking so far? Uh, preposterous, ludicrous, and downright a falsehood. <laughs> <laughs> Which you're not giving it any stock. Zero. <laughs> I'm not buying this for a second. Well, Mark, you would be one of the more logical people in the world. But let's continue, uh, shall okay. we? You said 90 feet long. Nah, yeah, the body was 90 feet long. Mark. How did they haul that back to They town? had horses. There's no way. They had three full horsepower. I'm just thinking about <laughs> 90 feet. There's no way. <laughs> that is so big. That is, that is longer than my house. Oh, my goodness. So, of course, as you mentioned, this sounds like quite the tall tale. Yeah. And it comes with photographic evidence. One might so- say this is an automatopoeia. Oh wait, no, <laughs> no, don't think no, that word. So it's not a misnomer. It's not a- <laughs> your your language. You you went in the thesaur- the thes- you went into the thesaurus and you looked at the wrong words. <laughs> they looked impressive. No, all right, what you got? So apparently, it comes with photographic evidence, and if that photo survived, that would be a great way to prove the existence of a cryptid. I would think so, right? But the question is, is it true? Yes, of course. Well. Maybe. Maybe? I got a pretty strong (laughs) idea it's not. So, in 1890, the Tombstone Epitaph, which is a newspaper out of Tombstone, Arizona, published an article about six gunmen who shot the bird down. Mm. 
In this embellished story of events, the creature had a 160-foot wingspan, the body was 92 feet long, and it was 50 inches around in the middle and had no feathers and smooth skin. But this so is a massive pterodactyl. Pretty much, yes. And the photo that if you look this up right now, you will find is basically a pterodactyl. But this isn't the true story. Because apparently, in the 1930s, a man came forward who claimed to be one of the ranchers who saw the creature. In his recounting, it was him and a friend who saw it, not six people. He said that they chased the bird, but their horses got spooked by it and turned around on them, so they couldn't get back to where they were chasing the creature, and they never shot it down, and it flew away. In his estimation, the creature had closer to a 20 to 30 foot wingspan, not 160. But the story persisted. Does that sound more reasonable to you? It still doesn't match any American bird I know. I know, and I looked that up because the albatross has the largest wingspan. I think it was like 12 feet. Okay. So even if this thing's only 20 to 30 feet, it's still double. The only thing I can think of is when you see something pretty astounding in person, you do tend to think it's greater than it really is. Uh, See any fisherman with a fishy lost. It was like... (laughs) Four feet long, so maybe that's where this came Grandpa from. Grandpa but... just forgot to throw the net in the boat, so <laughs> exactly. I couldn't get it. Exactly, but it was always huge, <laughs> like an absolute abomination in the water. So but, maybe this was a big bird. But... but thinking about it from this perspective of, say, like a Bigfoot or a Loch Ness Monster, like this is pretty much in line with a story about those. Sure. One, so I yeah. guess this depends how much stock you take in the entire phenomenon as a whole. So this is a, we got the land. In book Bigfoot, we got the water and the Loch Ness, and we got now the sky bird, the, sky. the thunderbird. Could it be an ancient primordial dinosaur that just survived? And where is it now? Tombstone, Arizona, <laughs> collecting crystals. Wow! <laughs> in the nineteen thirty or in nineteen thirty, the Thunderbird legend was included in a book on the Old West, and it caught attention of a writer named Jack Pearl. He embellished the story even more, stating that one of the Thunderbirds was killed, but a second one showed up and flew away with one of the prospectors in its talons. (laughs) That would be incredible. (laughs) But his biggest contribution to the story was that the original newspaper article had run with a photo of the bird and the men posing with it. So this is where the legend of the Thunderbird photo came in. And we have this photo? No. Oh, no. Photos could be run in newspapers in 1890s, but it wasn't super common. And a man who works in Tombstone now as a historian claimed that the Tombstone Epitaph, the newspaper that reported this, did not have the ability to run pictures in their paper. And the original article has been found, but it does not include any photographs. However, the photograph is still the most enduring part of the legendary bird known as the Thunderbird. The photograph that we can't find. Yes. (laughs) After reading the account of the legendary bird, people began to remember seeing the photo, but said they didn't realize what it was at the time that they saw it. The recollections of the photograph they saw varied from birds having wings with feathers or with the carcass being nailed up to a wall, everything in between. This isn't modern day where we've seen so many, at this point, AI-generated monstrosities 
So I feel like if you were in the what late 1800s, yes. you saw a photo of a large pterodactyl looking bird. I feel like you'd be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> but at the same, I guess if you're in a frontier, though, like you still don't know what all the creatures look like in this country that you're excavating the native land of. So I guess maybe you could bypass maybe, it. Maybe, but unless you had. 90 foot long creatures where you came from you might True. take notice but <laughs> but i mean they had they had never seen bison before and that was new another so, note do you think they ate a lot of tombstone pizzas in tombstone no <laughs> not at this time there's like five people in the entire town it says on the packaging <laughs> since 18 <laughs> yeah. since 1890 yeah. when the thunderbirds roamed it's, it's like it's mascot <laughs> oh man anyway so the location, the location that people said they saw the photo also differ, with some people saying that it was in National Geographic magazine, other people saying it was in a magazine known as Grit, but all of the archives of these magazines have been searched and nobody has been able to find the original photo. Some cryptozoological experts have also claimed to have held the photo in their hands, but to this day it has never been recovered for public display. So with so many vivid recountings, what is the truth about the Thunderbird and this famous photo shoot? But that's what you're asking, huh? Yes. I need answers, Jacob. I need them now. So most likely, this is another example of some sort of, of Mandela effect, you know, where people remember the Fruit of the Loom logo having the cornucopia, or they remember Mandela having a big public funeral, but he was still alive. He didn't have the cornucopia? No. Wait. Did I just blow your mind? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But no. So this is probably another scenario like this where many people probably never saw the photo, but have created such a comprehensive memory of seeing the photo that it became nearly a tangible thing for them. And this lines up with something that's called false memory syndrome, which is a psychological condition in which a person's recollections are factually incorrect, but the individual strongly believes it. And granted, this is a debated psychological study. People aren't really in agreement on whether this is a true thing or not. But this is most likely somewhere along the lines of what happened with the Thunderbird story. People said they saw something, the story grew, and the more they told the story, the more details they added, and the more they could visualize it in their head. Sure. So if you look it up online, there is a photo of men holding a pterodactyl-looking creature but it's not the photo. It's not the photo. And if it is the photo, nobody has ever been able to find the physical copy of the photo. So all we have to go on is the word of the man who claimed to have been there, which is similar, as I mentioned, to Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, whatever you want to say. So it's really up to whether you believe in that sort of thing or not. What if they're all the same creature? It could be. And he's terraforming that's not the right word (laughs) that would be going to a planet and civilizing it if the thunderbird maybe that's why we haven't seen it in a while i'm over three but i will get one of these (laughs) but i mean that is a theory for all cryptid sightings that they're like all interdimensional creatures that can come in and out of our reality as sure as they please yeah so i mean i suppose Eh, maybe but where do you where do you land on the Thunderbird? I, I land on it's it was a large bird that was not nearly as large as they say, 
And they were just like, whoa, look at that. But Bart gets spooked the horses. You know, horses can are known to get spooked. <laughs> I, I think, wait, what was it? In Seabiscuit, a tractor <laughs> spooks the horse and breaks Tobey Maguire's leg. <laughs> well, he deserved it. Okay. <laughs> My point is, you know, oh no, in Beauty and the Beast, the he, the horse gets spooked and leaves the old man in the woods. So, <laughs> That's a cartoon. <laughs> that he, doesn't happen in these real These are life. all adequate sources to cite, so I'm going to have to go and say, are you, are you saying that Disney doesn't put out accurate film? Hey man. I don't work here. <laughs> but that's what I think. I think it was a big bird and I think it got embellished from there. Uh, I, I tend to agree with yeah. you, but I think these frontier, frontier folklore stories are a lot of fun. So, Oh, yeah. I once saw an owl and was like, whoa, that's a big bird. Dude, I saw a video the other day and there was, it, I'm almost positive it was an owl in like a little cave and someone shined a light into it and caught just its eyes yeah. through this little crack, and it looks like an alien. Yeah. And everyone's just like, it's probably an owl, but that's terrifying. Yeah, it is scary, dude. So I guess I guess that's where I stand. Yeah, that's fair. So we've gotten through the cryptid part. Yes. Now, are you ready for the ghost part? I'm a little spooked, but I'll try. Okay. So I'm going to set the scene for you once again. <clears throat> On a dark and foggy night in the year of our Lord, 1862, a man named Leon Weber was out with his dog. The pair were out on one of their normal evening walks when they realized that a dense fog was approaching on the river down the bank. It was an eerie evening, but this fog seemed to come out of nowhere. It seemed unnatural. While Leon was curious, his dog started to whimper and shy away. Reassuring his companion, Leon began to walk towards the riverbank, and, and the pup tentatively followed behind. Once he got to the water, Leon turned around and realized that his dog had stopped 15 feet back. A bit nervous, Leon reached down and picked up a stone. Turning, taking aim, Leon let the stone fly into the cloud of fog, but he only heard it hit water. He turned back towards his pup, thinking nothing of the strange fog, and he bent down and patted the dog on the head. But then he noticed that the dog was fixated on the water and began to whimper once again. Doing a quick 180, Leon turned back to the river and noticed something that shook him to his core. Do you have any guesses what it might be? Um, I'm scared. I'm guessing a water sprite. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that wouldn't be that scary. Be a little scary. <laughs> it would be kind of spooky, I suppose. No, sitting atop the water was a transparent ship covered in a ghostly frost. Oh, Davy Jones. Yes, sure. With a stinky sock. <laughs> no. <laughs> SpongeBob lied to me. Hey, that was in the ocean. This is on a river in Wyoming. All water connects. That's kind of true. <laughs> The large mast held tattered remains of what was once a sail, a ghostly crew looking like zombies scuffled across the deck, and once they noticed Leon had noticed them, they all turned at once towards him as if they had one mind. At once, a captain walked out of his quarters pushing a cart covered by a sheet. Atop that sheet was a body, but Leon couldn't make out who it was through all the crewmen on board. Once the captain reached the center of the deck, the men parted, and the captain stared at Leon. 
Leon's eyes moved from the captain down to the body on the sheet, and the color drained from his face. Laying upon the sheet was the image of his fiancée. As Leon stared, speechless, the ship was once again engulfed in a thick fog and carried on down the river and dissipated. Regaining his, regaining his senses, Leon turned and raced back down the river path towards his home. He had only been gone a little over an hour. His future wife wasn't home when he left, but she had to be okay. Right? Wuss! Board the ship. <laughs> no, Mark, the ship's gone. Well, he had his chance. He could have jumped <laughs> he in. He just jumps into the river. <laughs> his dog's like, well. <laughs> oh, boy, that's pretty creepy. Leonidas' dog moved faster than ever before, rushing with adrenaline. It felt like forever, but was probably only 15 minutes before Leon was able to bust through the door of his fiance's home. When he did, he found her parents gathered around one another cradling their daughter, the love of Leon's life, in their arms. She was dead. After mourning his loss, Leon went on to tell the story of the river ship that foretold, or perhaps caused, his fiancée's premature demise. The story spread, and the legend of the death ship of the Platte River spread throughout Wyoming for years to come. Oof, that's a tough one. All right, I got two theories. I'll go with the more friendly one first it really played out like that i think that there's some weird spiritual ghosty things that can happen i think this one's a little more plausible however more sadistically i wonder if that guy is at all responsible for her death <laughs> and, and embellished a story to get sympathy and not have people look too closely into what was going on? You're saying that Leon Weber and his dog masterminded a murder? It's but mainly the dog. No, okay. <laughs> it was it was like the the Wild West version of Scooby Doo, <laughs> except they were the bad guys. <laughs> this was shaky, but yeah, uh, I'm gonna hope that it's just an unfortunate incident that's very creepy, but it's also possible this guy was an absolute tool. <laughs> and I'm not sure. Well, after Leon's sighting in 1862, it took another 25 years before another sighting occurred. And this time... Followed by another murder? This time, it was a <laughs> cattleman named Gene Wilson. He was leading his cattle along the riverbanks when he noticed his dog barking towards the river. He's got a dog, too. When he went to look, he too noticed a strange fog rolling down the river. His horse refused to get any closer, so he tied it up and went ahead on foot. When the ship arrived once again, the same crew and frost-covered mast greeted Jean. The captain did his grim march onto the deck, and this time, it was Jean's wife on the sheet. He ran back to his horse, rushed home, and found his wife and his home burnt to a crisp. <sighs> Couple of murdering bastards. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe the plot twist is the dog is immortal, and it was the same dog. <laughs> it, was, it was the same puppy the whole yeah. time. No, that's pretty tough. However, I will say that guy was like, oh, shoot, I accidentally killed my wife. <laughs> I must have let the candle uh, burn uh, in at home. Yeah. Uh, what did I hear 25 years ago? Oh, the ship. <laughs> <laughs> what did no. that guy Leon tell me? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, I I think it's actually a pretty creepy story. That's actually super super interesting, and uh, I, I'll say it's in the realm of possible. I'll say it's in the realm of possible. Well, let me finish you off with one yeah. more. Gross. A- a- after the eighteen pause after the eighteen eighty seven sighting, it wasn't until nineteen o three that we got our third and final sighting. This time, a man named Victor Hebe was living down the living down by the river, did not he get just the visiting. Heebie-jeebies? He did. When he was out chopping a tree, he decided to take a smoke break down by the river. Down by the river. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. As he did, the harbinger of death approached in the mist. The nice fall day suddenly fell foggy, and the frost-covered vessel once again broke through the mist. On deck, the crew parted once again, but this time, it wasn't a sheet that bore the body, but rather a gallows. The rope bore the weight of Victor's good friend, who had indeed been hung at 3.15 p.m. that day. Hmm. Now... I embellished these stories a bit for the sake of storytelling, as I couldn't find the original narrations, and I didn't want to spend $20 to buy the magazine article to find them. (laughs) But the idea is the same. A ship shows up in the fog and shows you the body of a loved one who had or will die any minute. The legend became known as the Wyoming Death Ship, or the Platte River Ship of Death, and the original accounts came from a man whose name was Victor Gaddis. No more sightings other than these three have ever been reported, but other ghost ship stories have been circulating from all over the world for years. And since Greek myths and the river Styx, people have had an association with death and boats. But how much of the truth is in the stories that were told? Do you think it's true? I don't know. This one's a little more plausible than the other. I will say... uh... What a ship is doing on a lake? It's a river. Oh, even worse. Yeah. A river. It's a little weird. I don't weird. know how big this river is. I didn't look it up. but <laughs> It's a little weird. Uh, but we all know what could have saved these people. It's challenging that captain to a game of liar's dice. <laughs> Seven falls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, falls. You're a <laughs> liar. <laughs> and the dog has to play, too. <laughs> Fair enough. But well, uh, that's, a, that's a creepy story. Well... In the end, maybe there is some truth to these stories, uh, but in the case of the Wyoming Death Ship specifically, Tom Horn, who was the last man in the story's friend, did actually get hanged in 1903. However, it happened at 11.08 a.m., not 3.15 p.m. And this isn't the only reason to doubt these stories. First of all, Victor Gaddis, the man who told all these stories, was the single source, which leaves a lot of room for him to personalize the stories. And even if they are true stories, and Gaddis claims that the first two stories are direct recountings, not the way that I told them, but the way that they are in the magazine, the language he used to write them is very similar to throughout all three of them and uses the same voice, not that of multiple people telling multiple different stories. And the source where Gaddis found the stories, which he claimed was the Cheyenne Bureau of Psychological Research, has no other proof of existing other than Gaddis himself. There was no mention of the Wyoming Ship of Death until 1948 in an issue of Fate magazine, so as convincing as the stories sound, 
it does appear as though Gaddis took the opportunity to create a new local folklore for himself. And in a land like the Wild West, which is full of fun stories, I can't say that I really blame him. No, I'm on board. I like it. A good scary story is worth being told. It was it convinced you more than the Thunderbird. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, the Thunderbird is pretty far fetched. Yeah, Thunderbird is sounds more. But like... so is a ghost ship that predicts your family members' deaths. Yeah, yeah, but I could see that being told, you know, to a group of people around a fire, and all of a sudden they tell some people, and before we know it, it's in a. It's in an article somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> that is true, <laughs> but it, it's it's kind of fun. I, I like think it. I think that one's more fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got people dying in it. Well, <laughs> but I think we don't the, know if they died. They could have been fake people. That one of them was definitely real. Oh, because he got hanged for murder. But he kind of deserved it. Were in that you case. there? No, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if he's getting hanged for murder, then yeah. Vic, then this this Victor Hebe guy probably isn't the best yeah. person either. So I guess he kind of had it coming. The, plot was, is, the dog is pulling the lever. Like, <laughs> he's got a hood on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that one. All right. Well, for our last story, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a Wild West ruffian. This, Whoa. This guy was, he's quite the character. Okay. So I'll, I'll let you decide on how you feel about this guy at he's the a end man of the story. Of, he's, a, he's a man of real class. Mm. <laughs> you don't seem convinced. Okay. Well, our last story today, we're going to take a break from the folklore and the tall tales of the Wild West, and we're going to talk about the spirit of the frontier embodied in a man known as Robert Clay Allison. You know, this guy either killed people or started a religion with that name. That's all I know. You got it right on the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Born in September of 1840 in Tennessee, Robert, known by most as Clay, and that's how I'll, I'll refer to him throughout the rest of the story, came out of the womb with a club foot. His father was a Presbyterian minister who also worked in the cattle business. There's the religion part. No, I'm kidding. But... He died when Clay was only five years old. Oh. So the young Clay was known to be restless from birth, and he grew up and became known for his wild mood swings and his quick temper. Those are good qualities for a man with a club foot. Yikes. <laughs> Whose parents are gone. This I is didn't not going to be didn't good. Didn't see literally anything about his mom, so this I This dude is in trouble. So th- th- I should Or everyone pro- else is. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have mentioned that most the the story about the uh, ghost ship came from the skeptical inquirer who did like an investigation on the story, and the story on Clay Alice and I all got from a website called Legends of America. So that's where I got this entire story from. So I, I don't know. like that Legends of America. Sounds like a compliment, but in this case, I can tell that he's be. he should be a legend because a lot of the stuff he does is hilarious to oh, me. But okay. he's also not a good guy. Oh, okay, so. okay. So Clay worked the farm until he was 21 years old, and that's when the Civil War broke out, and he immediately signed up to fight with the Confederacy on Mm -hmm. the Tennessee Mm -hmm. side. He fought well, despite his club foot, and he even was said to threaten to kill his superiors when they wouldn't force the Union lines back and chase them away. Wow. But after three months, he was given a medical discharge, listed for the following reason, quote, Emotional or physical excitement produces paroxysmal, which is sudden violent emotion, of a mixed character, partly epileptic and partly maniacal. Yikes. Not the club foot. 
No, is not. That... No, he was let in with that. They wow. didn't care about the club foot, but apparently he had maniacal and epileptic fits. That's not good. No, it's not. Wow. Apparently, the reasons in this listing suggested that his moods may have resulted from a head injury that he received when he was younger. However, less than a year after his discharge, he re-enlisted and then fought in the rest of the war as a spy. <laughs> Strict standards back then. Yeah. <laughs> Just go to a different town and say yeah. you're fine. Wow. Clay surrendered in May of 1865 and was sentenced to death, but before he was executed, he killed the guard who was in charge of him and escaped. This was the beginning of his career as what he liked to call being a shootist. That sounds like an excuse. He just likes to shoot people? Yeah. And he's you know, that actually brings me to my next Clint Eastwood quote. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. As he your, wants... in, in your best Clint Eastwood impression. <clears throat> you see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with a loaded gun and those who dig. <laughs> you dig. <laughs> Okay, that's all we got. Clay was definitely the one with the gun in this scenario. It sounds like a kind of a jerk. He will also be digging shortly. So for the bodies, he probably well, yeah, but he doesn't even use a gun in that scenario. Oh no! So we'll see. But after leaving the army, guess what Clay decided to do? Make bricks. He decided it was a good time to join the Ku Klux Klan. Oh. <laughs> Man, I there, I knew there was going to be a cult at some point. And not just a cult, the cult. The, the bad one. Yeah. The worst possible oh, one. Oh, no. So, naturally, this led to a lot of conflict with the Freedmen's Bureau. And so, eventually, he left town and went to Texas after shooting a Union soldier who tried to seize his family's farm. I hope this guy's got his comeuppance at the end. Clay and his brothers and sister, <laughs> along with her husband, crossed into Texas together. On the way, when crossing the river on a ferry, Clay beat up the ferryman because he accused the man of charging them too much money to cross the river. But only females could be ferries. <sighs> okay, moving on. Since there was a lot of excitement on charging them too since there was a lot of excitement on the way down to Texas, Clay decided to make an honest living for a while. He became a ranch hand, and by all accounts, he was a really good ranch hand. He worked for around four years in Texas as a ranch hand, and although it was quieter than the rest of his life was going to be, he still had his share of excitement. In one instance, Clay got into a tiff with a neighbor over the rights of a watering hole, and instead of going to settle it in court, Clay suggested that the two should dig a hole together Ugh. and enter the hole with Bowie knives, and the loser would be buried in that grave, while the other man would get the rights to the watering hole. Yikes. This dude accepted? Yeah. What, he thought he had the upper hand because of the club foot? I, I don't know why this guy wow. accepted. But Clay came out of the hole the winner, but it's never been reported whether he actually killed the other man. Oh. So no one really knows. At this point, he's only got whatever he killed in the war under his belt and that one Union soldier who tried to seize the family farm. And still murder. It's bad. <laughs> so eventually, Clay moved from Texas to New Mexico with his brothers, and they started their own homestead ranch. The Allison brothers quickly became the center of attention in town, drinking hard, pulling out their six shooters, and riding down the streets hollering and shooting. And they're 6'4". Yeah. yeah. 
That's how tall the horse was. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were said to shoot out lamps and glasses in saloons and would enjoy shooting at newcomers' feet to watch them dance. That's a little hypocritical. It's a classic Wild West, you know? You got to shoot at their feet and say, hey, <laughs> come on, partner. <laughs> I right. mean, you got, you got the guy in the corner wearing the uh, striped vest. Oh, dude, I live for the that. The bow tie playing yes. the... Good looking. The automated organ. <laughs> yep, yep. We got to bring that back. I would love that. <laughs> a man who was being held at the local jail on suspicion of killing and robbing overnight guests at a remote cabin met his end when Clay and a group of several others broke in. And this is where Clay's temper really shows its true colors. Because when he and his crew broke into the jail, they threw a rope around this accused man's neck and dragged him through the streets until he died, and continued to drag him through the streets after he was dead. Then, Clay decapitated this man and carried his head in a sack almost 30 miles to another town and demanded that it be put on a stake outside of the local inn. Seems excessive. A little bit. That's a a big temper he's got. Not just a temper, this guy's got some problems. Like, mentally. I mean, well, yeah, we knew he's, that. But. He's partly epileptic and partly maniacal, so <laughs> he's pretty much the Joker, but more violent. Yeah. The next year, Clay and a couple of others stole 12 mules from the local un- Union Fort commander. He then tried to do the exact same thing later in that year and almost got caught, but ended up shooting himself in the foot and then escaping. But that's On purpose? Wh- no. <laughs> but the, this is the point in his life where he gives himself a permanent limp. It wasn't the club foot. It was the fact that he shot himself in the foot wow. for trying to steal mules. Good or bad foot? I don't know. Huh. I would hope the good foot just so that he kind of has to deal with both. <laughs> wow. That's a tough go. Hey, man, he deserves it at yeah. this point. When he recovered, he went on a drinking spree and came across a man whose only name is reported as Wilson who apparently he didn't like for some reason. This man had the good sense to get away from Clay, and that made Clay very mad. So instead of chasing this man, he went to a different building and threw a knife at a man and pinned him to the wall. And then that man got away and ran to the doctor's office. One heck of a throw. Yeah, it was the, it's like literally the scene in the movie where he pins him through the coat or whatever, like, to the wall. That's improbable. That's what happened, (laughs) apparently. Okay. So then, Clay, instead of going home and sleeping off his temper, pinned another man who was a lawyer to the wall with a knife with the same trick, who also went and ran to the doctor's office afterwards. Who's this doctor? I don't know, but all of these people (laughs) are just like, hey, Clay Allison's after me, I'm gonna hide here. Wow. And the doctor's probably like, Guys, (laughs) Guys, <laughs> you better just bring him here. You have a reputation. Yeah. He has a reputation for a reason. Yeah. But after this, Clay then approached the doctor's office, and the two men hiding there ran out of the back, and the doctor told him to go home, which he surprisingly did. Hmm. All right. Maybe this is the guy who treated his foot injury. It probably was. Yeah. Maybe they got some good rapport. Soon after this, Clay fell in love oh every every villain deserves his gal he's he found his margot robbie playing harley Harley quinn Quinn, yeah the lucky lass was a youngster named dora mccullough a civil war orphan being raised by foster parents 
Well, she's been through some trauma, so you know what she needs? More trauma. A little more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she needs some excitement. Oh, this is terrible. So those foster parents had heard of Clay and, of course, disapproved of him, but he eventually won them over somehow, and Dora and Clay got married, and his brother married Dora's sister. <laughs> but the marriage didn't slow down Clay's rambunctious attitude, if you couldn't guess. He met a man who claimed to have a faster draw than him at a local inn and challenged the man to a duel, which Clay lost handily. So Clay then paid the price of losing to the man, which was, can you guess? Buying him a beer? Close. It was a gallon of whiskey. Oh. And then he had the man teach him how he drew so fast. But then Clay's past came back to haunt him. A man named Chuck Chunk Colbert, his first name was Chunk, came to town looking for Clay Allison. So if you'll remember earlier in the story, Clay had... It sounds like a show. When someone comes into the town looking for (laughs) someone... Yeah, exactly. That is so funny. His hat's a little too low in the front. (laughs) You can't see who he is. The sun's setting behind him. (laughs) So Chunk came into town, and if you'll remember... Clay had beat up a ferryman earlier in this story to try and cross the river. Well, Chunk was that ferryman's nephew. So, Chunk invited Clay to dinner and had planned to shoot him. But, when he tried drawing his weapon, he hit the table, and then Clay shot him in the head. Wow. (laughs) Clay was then seen riding out of town with Chunk's friend, who had witnessed the shootout, and that guy was never seen again. (laughs) I'm sure not. The next couple of years saw Clay participating in a conflict between land grant officials who were trying to evict a lot of people in the area and take their land, but I want to tell a specific story from this whole saga that he got involved in. A new minister came into town who opposed the land grant men and sided with Clay and his companions. Shortly after the minister arrived and started soapboxing against the land grant men, he was found shot in a nearby creek. Rumors began to spread that the town constable, whose name was Cruz Vega, was responsible. Nobody could find Cruz Vega, but eventually another pastor who was a friend of that minister who died came along and decided to head up the search instead of a sheriff. <laughs> Yikes. There was no law at the time. No, not really. <laughs> A masked posse led by Clay and that pastor found Cruz Vega and confronted him, but he denied doing anything and instead blamed it on someone else. He could have just blamed Clay. That guy's killed tons of people. (laughs) But you want to guess what they did? What did they do? They hanged him anyways. Uh, (laughs) He could have been an innocent man. He... the end of the story shows that he probably wasn't. Oh, okay. But he also didn't directly kill this guy, I don't oh, think okay. so. But Cruz Vega's uncle, Pancho Griego, found his body and attempted to bury him the next day, but Clay and his posse wouldn't allow Griego to bury Vega within the city limits. So he had to go outside the city and b- dig a shallow grave to bury his uh, cousin or his nephew. Yeah, his nephew. Later that day, Griego came back into town and began to make threats for revenge, and as he was doing this, he wandered into the inn where Clay was drinking. Of course. 
Griego attempted to distract Clay while he drew his gun by fanning himself with his hat, but Clay was wise to the scheme and shot the guy twice. This is a and no- killed him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that wasn't very good. So the saloon then closed for the rest of the day, and reports from this time say that the saloon closing was the most unfortunate event to happen that day in the town. That's all they have. <laughs> yeah, but a guy just got shot. That's like a typical Wednesday there. <laughs> that is probably true. Yeah. Especially when Clay is in town. No joke. The reason he was able to get Clay, with, and, and he wasn't phased by the fanning with the hat thing, Clay probably has a murder attempt on his life every other day. He probably <laughs> shoots before anyone gets a chance. He's got people inviting him to dinner and then trying to shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So after the uh, saloon shooting, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Clay and his boys went wild in the town, storming into the local newspaper and taking over the inn. At the inn, Clay apparently got drunk, stripped naked, tied a red ribbon around his penis, and did a war dance on the spot where he killed Griego days before. <laughs> Finally, an understandable act. No, <laughs> this is this is the entire. Wow. This is the story that I love. How that's documented. I know. This is why I wanted to cover yeah. him. So many, it was so funny. So many made sure that that was recorded. There dude. was another story that I was thinking about covering, but there just wasn't enough detail. Yeah, where there was. Uh, a town where someone on the side of their building drew a giant mural of a bull that just had gigantic nuts. And so everyone was like, we got to get rid of that bull with the gigantic nut mural. Wow. And so Wild Bill, Hill- Wild Bill Hickok, who's like one of the most famous sheriffs in the Wild West, tried to get him to take it down and then ended up shooting his partner in a shootout because he thought it was a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't getting shot? It's literally dude. the Wild West. Oh my goodness! So he did face charges for killing Griego, but it was end- it ended up being declared a justifiable justifiable homicide, and Clay was cleared of any charges. It was later found that Griego was most likely responsible for the minister's death. And after this event took place, the local governor said that he was coming to town because he wanted to start cleaning up on crime. Did somebody, does some people, at, do you think, think that Clay was like an anti-hero? Yeah. Like if they didn't I'm know I'm pretty him? sure, yeah. Because like there's reports from the time period where they're like, this guy stuck to his principles. Uh, yeah. No, he was a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah, he was. Oh, Anyone man. who joins the Confederacy and then leaves the Confederacy to join the Ku Klux Klan is <laughs> probably yeah. not a good guy. He's just doing whatever he wants to do. I mean, that is literally the spirit of the frontier, so uh, I guess I can't. It's, yeah. it's like he's a product of the time. but at I, the think it's, I think he would have been like killing people anyway. I think it's almost like he found ways to kill people who were like, quote-unquote, do. So, yeah. like, he kind of got away with and it, that's, but... That's what, like, his wife's family said. They're like, he doesn't go looking for trouble. The trouble just finds him and he retaliates. Uh-huh. I don't think so. <laughs> no, he knows what he's doing. So, when the governor came to town, he, of course, targeted Clay and his goons. And in response, they blew up the news and press office and threw the press into the river. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> this guy is a madman. He's, his kill count's at, like, eight. 
He did kill it. Didn't kill anyone in this. In this, well, they scenario. lived. After, he, so he, he just, just like got him a little wet. Yeah, you know, he just blew up the building and then threw like the literal machine that presses the newspaper. Oh, into the I river. thought he threw like the town's <laughs> press. <laughs> no, not like the press. It, yeah, like, that's the people. what I thought. He's not throwing newsboys into the river. That's what I thought. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. It was like the literal machine oh, okay, of okay. the press. Yeah. So the governor then issued a warrant for Clay uh, for the murder of Chunk Colbert, that guy that he had dinner with and shot. The, he he issued the warrant for that guy's friend that Clay rode out of town with later yes, that night. Yes. And instead of letting himself be caught and served the warrant, Clay caught the governor's stagecoach as it was riding through town and just jumped in and had a discussion with the governor. That's actually dope. That's <laughs> the first cool thing <laughs> he really like did. It's like a literal movie yeah. scene. So in the conversation, the governor told Clay that he would get a fair trial, which was Clay's biggest yeah. thing that he didn't want to get caught. So Clay turned himself in and was eventually acquitted because wow. they said that they couldn't find any evidence that the guy had actually died. Yeah. So theoretically, he's, he's safe on that account. Okay. The next few years saw continued excitement. Well, Clay and his brother broke into a dance and started dancing with very unwilling partners, Oof. which caused the deputies to come the sheriff literally went and deputized two random citizens and said hey we got to go get these guys out of this dance oh no a it's shoot- probably like gross dude. it's probably like a high school dance oh yeah oh, it's <laughs> they're all 14 or 15 oh probably. that's just terrible so a shootout ensued with these d- two random deputized civilians that literally at 15, the dance 15 minutes before got deputized at a dance yeah Clay's brother got shot in the shootout, but Clay himself did kill the sheriff who shot his brother, and the two random deputized guys just ran away, which is completely understandable. And Clay and his brother were later acquitted on charges because they said it was in self-defense, which, in this case, it was. They just got drunk and crashed a dance and then got shot at, so... (sighs) This guy is just dodging logic. <laughs> this makes no sense. This guy is the OJ Simpson of the Wild real, West. Yeah, this can't the be real life. Doesn't fit. He doesn't fit, yeah. Clay then moved to Kansas, where rumors spread that he was run out of town by a mob, but nobody knows if that's actually what happened or if he just kind of left on his own. But then Clay went back to Texas, where he has said to have ridden nude through the town on his horse, and when the sheriff tried to tell him to stop, Clay put a gun to the sheriff's head, marched him into the local saloon, and made the sheriff drink until he couldn't stand up. I guess there's worse punishments, but... <laughs> but all of this by a naked man with a gun. That is very odd. He has a thing about being naked. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, he, I think once he starts drinking, he just starts he taking the clothes come immediately. off. immediately. <laughs> wow. After this, he went back to New Mexico, where Clay had his first daughter and assaulted a dentist. And then he went back to Texas again. <laughs> this dude has lived five bad lives in one. Oh my goodness. On July 1st, 1887, Clay tried to save a sack of grain that was falling off one of his transport wagons, but the sack of grain pulled him off of the wagon, thus putting him underneath the wagon, and the wheels rolled over Clay's body, breaking his neck and almost decapitating him. That was a twist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a, that's a way to go. 
The 47-year-old Clay Allison, a rowdy son of a gun, crazy enough to eat the devil with the horns on, was now dead as a can of corned beef. Wow. And those are all Old West sayings that I looked up. Well, he got his comeuppance then. That he did. He yeah. he did not die a pleasant death. No. I mean, it probably was quick. That was quick. pretty quick. Yeah, but... so I guess it was probably better than he deserved. But, but it also was pretty brutal. But was pretty... The, the, the Wild West shootist... Didn't die in a shootout. Should be the Wild West nudist. Honestly, dude was the nude shootist. <laughs> the nude shootist. <laughs> exactly. That guy had a wild life, and not in a good way. He he lived at least like three separate lifetimes. It's, seriously, and he died before fifty. Yeah, and that dude did a lot of stuff. A lot of nude stuff. <laughs> Oh man! I just love that the most notable story I found about him before finding all of this information was that he danced at a bar with a a ribbon around his penis. That is bizarre. A red ribbon. Yes. I think. Yes. I love how that's. I love how that's specified. I know. <laughs> I love how we know so much yeah. about this man's life. Do you think it was? He just had someone hired to just write next to him. <laughs> yeah. So this person, <laughs> he's got like it's Geralt. In yeah, exactly, exactly. And like bar, t- yeah, toss a dime to yeah, or a coin. Exactly. Yeah, it's Clay Allison yeah. and a KKK member. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> but that is the final Wild West frontier story that I have for oh, you today. That was a enjoyable trip. A lot of comedy with that with that one. Yeah, I. Uh, if someone's life's gonna be bad, at least. At least have some humor too. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he's such a a bad person. Yes. Oh, <laughs> but yes. His lifestyle is just comical. It, it in leads some ways. to comic. Yes. Comic relief. Like things happened that were funny. Yes, definitely. But yeah, not a good dude. Not a good. Dude, so which your which one of these was your favorite? Story? I would say that last story was the most entertaining. Okay. I I like the ghost story because it's creepy and I think it's plausible. The first story is just ludicrous <laughs> and just. <laughs> dumb but it's it's still fun i mean it's fun to hear people embellish stories and honestly anything from the the western frontier uh in the 1800s is gonna be fun i just think there's a lot of cool stuff back then but there was also a movie made that was based on billy the kid i think and it's called billy the kid versus dracula and it came out like the 80s or the 60s or yeah. something like that. And I really want to watch it because it sounds amazing. It sounds like a terrible movie. It does. That's why it sounds good. Like it's the description said Billy the Kid falls in love with like a barmaid and finds uh, out that her dad is Dracula. Wow. So I'm we sure should it has probably, a high, very high budget. We should watch that. Yes. You're right. You're right. That would be, that'd be a good movie. But uh, more modern. The movie Cowboy versus Aliens that was based on like a real, well, quote unquote, real story from the Wild West. Really? Yeah. There's a, apparently a UFO that crashed in like Abilene, Texas, or something like that, and a creature, a, not of this earth, as people said, died when it crashed, and they buried him in an unmarked grave. And apparently, people have said that they found where the likely gravesite is, but really? the, the city won't let them dig it up because they say even if it's not a human. We're not going to disturb the resting place of this dead. Where person. is this? It's in Texas somewhere. I'm pretty sure. But we mu- there must be a place that is documented if people are saying they've been told they can't. I, yeah, I don't know exactly where the grave is, but yeah, that apparently is where the movie, like the damn government. Are- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let me dig up my alien bodies. It's all over. Yeah. 
Oh, but thank you for joining me for oh, this one. Oh, dude. That was actually a ton of fun. I, I didn't know when you mentioned you were going to talk about stuff in the in the West. I don't know if you're going to go more like traditional historical stuff. Dude, those stories were awesome. That yeah. was a lot of fun. We did a very uh, a rough topic last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know what it is. I know. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> this was a little bit this of a, a little more upbeat. A reprieve from that. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, the description of the podcast says we talk about like local folklore. And so I was like, well, let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Some, uh, some fun like local legends. Oh, dude. I think it was a blast. I think you picked great ones. That was awesome. Yeah. So... There's there's a lot of fun Wild West stories out yeah. there. So, but Mark, do you have anything that you'd like to uh, plug before you leave the podcast for the day? No, I think you should plug your guys' socials again. Right. Let's see if I can uh, do my best <coughs> Evan impression. Yeah. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. I'm at Jacob from Wisco. Uh, Mark is at Mark underscore Stein B on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Gems of History Podcast and YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook by looking up Gems of History Podcast. Facebook, it is a discussion group known as the Agora, but if you search Gems of History Podcast, you should be able to find it. And last but not least, if you want to support us on Patreon, we do have a Patreon account. It's $5 a month, 60 bucks a year. That is about the price of a fancy dinner. If you want to look at it that way. Wow. And that sounds worth it. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, no doubt. So if you want to support us there, you can go to patreon.com slash gems of history podcast and you can sign up there. You get uh, ad free episodes, which the last one was ad free because the platform that I use to distribute the podcast canceled my ad because I got taken over by a different company. So I got to <laughs> redo that somehow. But you get early access to episodes and you get access to our listener polls for monthly episode choices, which is the last episode we just did before this one. So if you want to get access to that, go sign up there and you get a sticker, which is fun. Oh yeah, I highly suggest it. And it sounds like maybe you guys will be bringing some video stuff, maybe reels or t- you know. Yeah, we'll we're going to gonna, we're gonna see. Uh, we're, we're testing some stuff out, so yeah. we'll see if we get any of that video content out there or not. But for sure. If not, this never happens. Yeah, either way, the quality <laughs> of content is high. It's great. Well, Mark, thank you for joining me. I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, you'll, thanks you'll for have inviting to, me back. You'll have to join us when Evan is actually here so we oh, can get the yeah, uh, trio get the, uh, back together. Yeah, the original original gems. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I know that people love having you on, so yeah, I'm I appreciate sure they would that. look forward to it. But thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Gems of History podcast. Until next week, everyone, have a great week, and we love you, and stay polished. See ya.